0: to sana sana podcast with adriana
1: and adriana sana sana Sana, sana is a queer feminist podcast that promotes healing and normalizes mental health
0: welcome to episode 12 follow the episode with hashtag sana sana hey hey hi (laughs) how are you doing it's it's been a good
1: week um we're in the middle of our holiday vacation um I know you have some time off from work right now, right? I
0: have. Yeah. It's been magical. Yeah. I've been out of work, out of the office for about five days, and I have five more to go. Cushy-ass bitch.
1: I know. Well,
0: that's philanthropy <laughs> for you. I, who am I?
1: am calling the kettle black because I am in the same spot. I'm very, very, very um, lucky to have this week off like the office is closed um so this is paid time off for me Mm -hmm. without actually like requesting vacation, so it's not coming out of my vacation bank the fact that i have a vacation bank wow um don't mean to go on and on about it but it just is like it's like something that happened fairly recently you know in the last like five
0: years that i have you know this kind of privilege so oh i agree i this is the first time that i've had this type of time off for about seven years um so it feels amazing and you know definitely less stress less commute time less everything and i've really just been able to enjoy some time to myself
1: yeah so while we might be annoying in we're not gloating. I think we're just making sure we're not taking it for granted. And honestly, this um, week for me has been really focused on recuperating. It's been a really, really, really hard year. I actually didn't take a lot of um, vacation time this year. A lot of my work has been um, centered on building a department. And so I would take long weekends here and there, but I didn't really take like a vacation or even a staycation. So this week has been really focused on me just being home, being in my home and like catching up on laundry and projects that I've been wanting to do in my home that creates a, like like a um, sanctuary mm-hmm. and gets me all set up for the, the next year of wor- more work. Um,
0: so I'm just really grateful and I want to acknowledge that. Oh, mm-hmm. I was not. You know, I'm glad that you said that. That's that was not where my mind was. Although I have really been
2: (laughs) (laughs) sorry, sorry. I should eye. I'm gonna speak in the
0: eye. (laughs) No, but I really appreciate it because you know, my partner doesn't have the type of time off that I do. My sister doesn't. There's a lot of people who don't have any type of pay time off. So we are really privileged to have this. Um, but like you, I've also been taking this time to really focus on myself, which has been really nice. I've been going to the gym every morning and like taking naps and um, cleaning the apartment and just, um, I guess, on subconsciously doing it for the new year right to kind of open that new chapter but it's just it's been really wonderful and obviously we can have an amazing retreat like we did today because of our time off so thanks to my employer yeah. and you're welcome employer
1: yeah i was gonna say you earned that through blood sweat and tears you paid for it somehow That's true um, what's really nice, though, this is like our second annual holiday Sana Sana retreat. We had one last year um, around the same time. And it's just a good way for us to kind of refocus on, you know, what we want to manifest with this podcast, what we continue to hope to um, contribute to our own healing work doing this podcast and, you know how we hope to continue to grow it any lessons learned that we've um collected creating this podcast is definitely like I'm sitting with a lot of that this week and yeah it just feels great I'm like it's been a year of um making this little little passion project of ours come to life and um, it's still not, you know, where I want it to be in terms of like the equipment that I want and all of those things. But it also gives me something to like look forward to and look like work towards. Mm-hmm. And as we say all the time, this podcast really is um, a product that we have built out of self-love. Like this is something that we, we've we done for ourselves to... Um, intentionally carve out space to really connect with our our inner work our inner child um, with each other as friends theka that are like doing this work at different points of the journey and with our community it's it's really uh, a really loving um, act that we do this podcast in and yeah again I'm just grateful. <laughs>
0: I'm so glad. I I love hearing you talk about the podcast because we have, you know, very similar, you know, thoughts about it, but I always learn um, different things from when you describe it. And what I loved that you said was that it's a product of self-love and as someone who, you know, one of the, my, you know, biggest challenges for me is to find that space to have self-love, to grow in my self-esteem, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I love seeing the podcast as as a product of self love because um, it's a really it's a fact, right? It's it's tangible in a way, um, and so just um, it means a lot that personally I have dedicated one year and a little bit more to myself in such a obvious and um, just transformative way. But it also means a lot to share that with you um, because. It's, you know, our journeys together and we're all trying to kind of achieve the same thing, which is heal. And, um, yeah, that's all I'm going to say about it. But it's just um, the beginning of it, really. It's only been a year and we um, I'm looking forward, like you said, to um, getting better, more equipment. Hopefully a computer will be in our future. (laughs) Um, but just very thankful for this time and space that we, yeah, that we created and thankful for the community that listens and that has supported us throughout the year.
1: Yeah, I guess one last thing I'll say, too, is um, I get sometimes really caught up in the perfectionism of, like, where I want the podcast to be and what kind of equipment we should be recording on and the kind of editing that I want to do, the the time, it, like, intensive labor it takes to, to edit and produce and um and book you know and schedule interviews and things like that but what i never want to lose sight of is like at the very minimum what we're doing is documenting um our journey Mm -hmm. um and that is so important not just for my own like personal um narrative like there i don't take a lot of photos of myself i journal um but i think about my footprint on this world all the time and Um, You know, I don't have children, so, like, I don't have, I have nieces that I could share more of myself and, like, this act of, like, being really transparent on the podcast is something that is part of how I hope to preserve, like, my legacy, you know, Um, because they're, you know, the way that we're kept alive after we're gone is people who remember us and, like, talk about, you know, our memory and our stories. And so, like, this is what I'm I'm giving to my future self, yeah.
0: Mm, I love that. And it also reminded me of Coco the movie. <laughs> <laughs> no!
1: <laughs> we could do better than Disney is my point!
0: And we are doing better. No. Well, I mean, I do
1: love Coco, but it's still Disney, you know.
0: No, I, I agree. And I just think that... <laughs> <laughs> um, I we're just obviously very excited and giddy to be continuing this journey. And yeah, I feel like that's kind of where we are. We're actually really excited to be recording. Mm-hmm. Not this
1: is the last episode of 2018. Yeah.
0: So this is the first episode that we've done in a while that's actually been recorded and it's going to be edited it's not a live episode but it's also the last one of this year so it kind of holds a very special place in my heart at least and we have an amazing interview um, with Rosalind Cecilia and she's um, going to talk about her work with youth um, and girls of color and so I'm really excited to hear that and to share that and um, her work with everyone.
1: Me too. Before we get into the interview with Rosalind Cecilia Sotero, um, let's move into Sana Sana Glossary, which it's been a minute since we've done this segment, so I'm really excited. You're listening to Sana Sana Podcast, episode 12,
0: with Adriana and Adriana.
1: On today's Sana Sana Sana
0: Glossary, our keywords are trauma-informed and youth-led. Tokaia, why don't you kick us off with trauma informed?
1: The word trauma informed is one of those like buzzwords that's actually used a lot right now in uh, spaces that provide services for survivors, spaces that provide services for young people. I've also heard it a lot in like education spaces, in traditional like therapeutic spaces, in the addiction field. I hear it a lot. I actually have heard it a lot. At my workplace, I am—I'm not a clinician, right? We talk about that all the time. We're—we're lay women. We don't—we speak about mental health from our experience. And I know, like, all the—the information and knowledge and experience that I have in mental health has been like through. Trial and error, learning and reading, and learning as much as I can through like the treatment that I receive, and you know I work with a therapist, like having um, a therapist that is very trauma, like her practice or is trauma informed. So I just wanted to provide some context how that word has entered my my like consciousness. Before this segment, like I had tried to look up what is the the definition of trauma informed. And like I would actually really like to know like who coined the term. I still haven't found that. But the best way that I can describe what trauma informed is, is basically like an approach that takes into consideration how trauma affects our mind, body, and spirit in a very concrete way. And it affects us so differently than how we operate on a regular basis and on an everyday, like walking to and from where we need to go, right? Like who we are in the day-to-day is very different than who we are when we've been through trauma. Like there are chemical physical reactions that our bodies and our brains go through when we experience trauma and trauma can be everything from you know the most extreme events and experiences like war rape um plane crash seeing someone killed in front of you like those are all very traumatic events but it could be a lot more subtle too So when we talk about having a trauma-informed approach, we are talking about usually professionals or like educators or um, people who work with the general public that have that understanding of what trauma does to us and taking that into consideration and how they provide services. There's like a body of research that talks about what's commonly known as ACEs it's an acronym adverse childhood experiences study basically it's like a checklist of different kinds of experiences that uh, can result in childhood trauma and um, the more of those boxes that you check off the more likely you are to see some serious consequences in your adulthood so this study was really like revolutionary in i believe trauma-informed approaches because it just really helped illuminate um how whenever you provide care for someone you can't just treat like the immediate crisis if you really want to go and do deeper healing work you have to address the root cause which is often
0: these traumatic events that happen in childhood from my experience grant writing and working on the other side of an organization that was focused on gender violence prevention and intervention was that our programs, specifically for domestic violence and sexual assault programs, were trauma-informed in that it meant that when we provided counseling, therapy, advocacy to anyone who came in through our doors, we would honor, accept, validate, that person's past trauma so often um folks who walk into the doors of an organization you know when they have an issue of domestic abuse that domestic abuse is not the first time that they've encountered unfortunately violence or trauma and so our approach is to go to like you said the root cause and you know a lot of folks have been sexually assaulted in their childhood and have so many other issues and and trauma that they have left unmet So it hasn't been treated. And so in order to deal with the domestic violence, power dynamics that are happening present, we have to go to the past and we have to deal and really unpack what's happened in your past trauma. And so in order to do that, it takes a lot of time, but we have to get to the root cause in order to fix the issues that are happening right now, in order to heal what's going on right now. So that's the only uh, things that I would add to your explanation of Trauma Informed.
1: Yeah, I guess one last thing that I'll mention is that I don't know anyone, honestly, that hasn't had like a traumatic experience in childhood. And we all have such different ways of coping with trauma, Um, numbing and disassociating and forgetting are actually like coping mechanisms that our bodies go through. Sometimes that trauma is stored in our body and we don't even know it. So PTSD doesn't just apply to like war veterans. So one thing that I'd mention, you know, um, I've talked about being in recovery um, through a with a twelve step program that's called Adult Children of uh, Alcoholics and Dysfunctional Families, and it's the only twelve step program that I know of that focuses on childhood trauma. It has something called the Laundry List, which is uh, fourteen traits of an adult child, and all of those traits really are essentially like. The manifestation of trauma. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I, I, I think everyone can benefit from learning and understanding what trauma is because it'll it'll not only help us be more compassionate with ourselves and understanding like how some of our decisions and what drives us sometimes is so um, subconscious that we don't even know until we start doing that inner work to really reveal our motivations for doing impulsive or um, self destructive uh, things. It's, it'll also provide insight into other people and, and provide. Uh, provide you empathy and understanding especially when we talk about young people right Um, who already are dealing with so much because they're growing developmentally so fast and often don't have the the language or the words to be able to talk about what's happening Rosaline really talks about that uh, in the interview which I'm really excited for for you to listen to but it's a big one that's just like the start of the conversation so I'm really glad that we picked that
0: glossary word any professionals out there, if you have another way of explaining Trauma Informed to us, if you have any resources, or if you know who coined the term, please help Atokaya out and let us know. (laughs) I'm going to move really quickly into our second keyword, which is youth-led. Mind you, I am not a youth. Worker, I don't work with youth, I have in the past. Um, But this is another term that Rosalind uses and that she really incorporates in her work with youth. Um, And um, youth led, the way that I like to explain it is in the same way that we say anti racist work um, is when we place the most vulnerable populations who are affected by racism at the center of our analysis. Um, That's the same thing that we're gonna do with youth in youth-led curriculum, youth-led programming, youth-led policies, right? We are education. education. We are really placing the experiences, um, the knowledge, the expertise that youth have at the center of our analysis. Um, and taking it from there and so um, basically it's a youth informed practice um, in which we take for example the trauma that they faced in the past um, difficulties growing up and we really use that to inform the work that we're doing in which we're trying to you know serve youth anything that you'd like to add to that definition no I think actually you nailed it
1: it's it's really just walking the walk when we talk about being good adult accomplices or adult allies, right? Like that we we are committed to showing up for young people. Um if we're going to show up, we got to also make sure that they're there. Like they need to be at the table with us um when so many of the decisions that are being made about their lives don't often have their voice or their input on how it'll affect them so it's just really ensuring that they're they're right there right there front and center making active decisions and really
0: uplifting their agency love it join the conversation and share your definition of trauma-informed and youth-led on social media with the hashtag Sanasana. Sana.
1: It's time for our featured segment, Corazón a Corazón. Let's get to the heart of things with Rosalín Cecilia Sotero, today's special guest. Rosaline is a community educator and organizer focused on issues close to women of color, education equity, youth-led activism, and anti-blackness within Latinx communities.
0: Our conversation has been edited for clarity and brevity. Follow along and share your favorite quotes on social media using the hashtag SanaSanaPodcast. So,
3: quien soy yo? Okay. So, my name is Roslyn is, uh, Sotero. Um, Roslyn is fine. I don't care either or, um but I'm pretty adamant about saying my name correctly, like, you know, with the accent and everything around white people because, you know, you got to make them work. Um, I go by she, her, hers for my pronouns and I am a, I'm a bunch of things to be honest with you. Um As far as like, professional title right now i am a program coordinator for a um, queer advocacy committee that's here in waterbury connecticut um unofficial titles are i'm a community educator and organizer um, specifically around uh youth-based issues considering like latinas around gender around race um What else do I do? I paint. (laughs) I'm a writer. Um, I also twerk whenever I can, you know, because self-care is a (laughs) twerking. Yes, yes. Um, But, yeah, I've been pretty much, like, I've been forming all of those, if you will, titles um, over the past, Mm -hmm. like, five years or so, ever since I uh, graduated uh, from UConn and really just been kind of exploring all of my skill sets. Um, the titles are really just like a very formal way of like summarizing all the things that I do, um, but they're never like enough. You know what I mean? Like titles don't ever tell you who you are completely. Um, but I think educator and organizer are like the best ways to talk about myself just for like a reference
2: point. Awesome. No, and I'm excited to talk more about um, your your educator work, and your youth work, Um, but before we get into that, I was on your Facebook page, like I often am, (laughs) and I was looking at your intro, and you have here something that like is so perfect for the podcast, but this is on your page, this is how you have your intro, it says, heal yourself, heal the collective, so tell us what that means to you. Um,
3: to me, that line is really just, it's always talking about making sure we center internal work and how, when we, when we prioritize self work, we're automatically going to be manifesting that journey into all of the other things that we do with other people. Um, and that also goes for the things that we don't work on, right? Like the the things that we have internally that we're not willing to unpack or not ready to unpack or just don't know that we have to unpack, those things will manifest in our behavior in our treatment and our interactions with other people and this work um, in a public space. So for me, Heal Yourself and Heal the Collective is about making sure that you are constantly prioritizing your individual journey and understanding that in order for it to be a part of a larger narrative you need to know what your own narrative is um yeah that, that's pretty much what that is and I, honestly i that's not my uh like i didn't come up with that i have heard that a while ago and for the life of me to this day i have no idea where i heard it from but it just stuck with me um and it's pretty much like I my mean if i go back day to
2: day. like way back to indigenous so it's just
3: like people, you know, like, yeah, original, uh-huh. but anyway, so, but, um, yeah, <laughs> like, um, yeah, that's, I, I just, I take that mantra with me with all, like, all the work that I do. Um, and it's, honestly, sometimes I, I'll even forget, like, when I've worked with my, um, with my, with my girls, my, my young girls, my, my youth program that I ran for five years, um, We'd be in conversation about certain things, and I'd realize, like, wow, like, holy crap, this is, like, a trigger for me. Like, this conversation, something that my student just said is a trigger for me, and I didn't even know it was a trigger. And, like, now they have pointed out something that I need to heal because if I don't heal that, like, how am I going to be able to guide that healing for them, you know?
2: Um, so it's definitely
3: something that I, just, I try to implement in all of my work.
2: So tell us a little more about your your role as an educator um, and the work that you do with young people, because I was looking at your bio, and we'll probably read it before we kick off this interview when we do the podcast, but you've done a lot of work with young folks. um, Mm -hmm. Like, a lot. (laughs) (laughs) I'd love to hear (laughs) just a little bit about, like, how you got started with that work and, like, what, what it means to you, where, where you hope it goes, and just give us a little bit of a background, like, uh, about, like, the context of your work. Okay,
3: starting from the beginning, I was an undergraduate student at UConn, and I became the president of the Latin American Student Organization, and I really just needed to find something for my members to do. Like, what, okay, what are we gonna do this year as seniors that's gonna make Lasso seem, like, important? Um And so I reached out to a a local nonprofit, and they were saying that they were interested in starting a youth program, but they don't really, like, have the foundation yet. This is really just an idea. And I don't know. (laughs) It just sounded really like an awesome idea. Um, And I kind of, just like, took head of it. Um, I created, like, the curriculum of the program. I... Was able to get like state funding for it, um, and we did like a few pilot um, like pilot trials for the program, and then we ended up I think after two years we able to, we were able to have three full years. Um, the last full year was actually September 2017, um, but that's how I pretty much got into the work. It was Really, just like a happenstance type of thing, um, and I just really like the idea because I've always wanted to work with Puerto Rican youth. It's like something I've always wanted to do since I was younger. Um, And what I was going into it thinking was that I want to create a space where my students have a, like, they have a safe place to learn and be themselves and explore themselves in all of the things that they are, Um, you know, including and past being Puerto Rican. it was really important to me to create like a space that was affirming of like all of their identities mm-hmm. and their experiences. Um, and I really just wanted to be a guide, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like not even be a guide to be honest with you, but kind of be a witness um, to other people's mm-hmm. journeys um, because my students have such, I mean, they're all unique. They all have individual cases and in the story, uh, individual stories. And I've learned so much from them. Um, and it was really humbling, to be honest, to witness growth, like, right in front of you, um, regardless of, like, its pace and regardless of where it was going. Um, but, yeah, like, it was just a kind of – I'm kind of rambling. <laughs> but um, – trying to answer your question like got into it because like I wanted to work with my community because they are the most important thing to me and my program and the work that I do with my youth is really centered around just affirming like your authentic self um Mm -hmm. and that's what I hope to do with like the work that I was doing with them
2: yeah, oh, I love that. It's so beautiful to to think about how important it is to be seen and to be heard and yeah. to have someone bear witness, you know, something that we often don't realize is missing until we have it, right?
3: Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, there were just a lot of stories that my, my kids had to tell, you know, that people weren't interested in listening to until the program happened. Um, mm-hmm. and it's actually, it's interesting to me because when I think about like Puerto Rican history and Puerto Rican roots, I think of us as like storytellers, you know, like that's how we carried on our traditions. And it's also like the main method that we were, like, it was a tool that we used to actually heal ourselves, you know, when we create mm-hmm. narratives about what is going on around us. Um, and the lessons we mm-hmm. want to pass on to other people. So it was interesting to see, like, my students were natural-born, like, storytellers. They just needed an audience. Um, and I think, you know, I'd like to think that they got one, one that they felt were yeah. listening to them and affirming them.
2: Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, you just reminded me. So uh, I lived in Puerto Rico for four years in my mid-20s. And I just used to be in awe of the tradition, like the the troubadours, um, mm-hmm. you know, like that is like such a celebrated form of storytelling. So it just came to mind, like yeah, that's that's pretty deep in the tradition and the culture. Yeah, <laughs> you know. It's a thing Um, because
3: I'm telling you, you can't get into a conversation with a Puerto Rican without them telling a whole story before they get to the point. Like, (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
2: it's just what we do. Like,
3: you have literally one thing to tell somebody, but it takes the whole 30 minutes because you have to have them know about everything that happened in their day.
2: (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean... Um, I wouldn't say that's unique to Puerto Ricans. I feel like a lot of across the Latino diaspora stories are so important, but Puerto Ricans definitely have their own style to it. Yeah, we <laughs> it's their own unique their own unique spin. I love it.
3: Yes. And the Spanglish is beautiful. It makes it even better.
2: So I wanna um go back a little bit to what you were saying. Um a little bit of goal about when you worked with your girls and you would start to like talk about, you know, hear them or they would talk about different issues that were going on in their lives so that would overlap with things that you were going, that were going on with your life and vice versa, right? And how important it is to have that space to talk things out. And Given like the, the young folks that you work with here, you know, on our podcast, we've been talking a lot about trauma and how that connects to mental health. Um, and for a lot of our communities, trauma isn't just like individual trauma. It is communal trauma. Um, and trauma that's been passed down for right. generations, right? Um, can you tell me about how this idea has informed your work? Like, how has um, the trauma that's been inflicted on your community? Um, how has how has it affected the way you talk with your your young folks? Um, how has it like informed the way that you hold circle or um, you know facilitate conversations? Um, How would you say it it, it informs uh, how you you do what you do? That's a big question. (laughs) Mm -hmm.
3: Um, Well, I think I can start with this. If we're going to say that healing yourself is going to heal the collective, I think we can say the same thing about the fact that it's saying that we share healing, which also implies that we share trauma. Um, So there's a collective trauma within uh oppressed communities and kind of drawing from like, you know, linking just like the conversation we were just having when it comes to like language, um, like there is a trauma associated to language and like not being able to acquire language. And for Puerto Ricans, there's, there's colonialism is long and in depth and nuanced and that we could like spend hours talking about like, the atrocities um, subjected upon, like, the Puerto Rican community, um, whether we're talking about the states or whether we're talking about the islands. Um, but, like, one of the, like, traumas that we could talk about is really the fact that there's lost generations within Puerto Rican. Um, and I don't know how much you know about, like, Puerto Rican migration and, like, citizenship and whatnot, but, like, we've been coming to the United States since the 40s. Um, and rapidly because that's you know, why does any, uh, immigrant population come to the U S there's jobs here, supposedly. Um, but like there's lost generations where, because people are so focused on capitalistic success, right. Um, defined by the people that oppress you and completely marginalize you from capitalistic gains. um.
2: So didn't have
3: time to pass on traditions like I like mm-hmm. I literally have I bear witness to so many young Puerto Ricans who are part of families that are four generations like old like they have there's four generations alive because people were having kids so young you know or because there were so many blended families or because people were migrating so quickly within decades um and no, no one ever had time to teach the kids like their history. No one ever had time to teach kids their language. No one ever had time to cultivate conversations about identity and who who we are and where we come from and why are we even doing this, like why are we even struggling and pushing the way that we are. And so again, like kind of going back to language is like one of those, like a like a tangible thing that we could talk about when it comes to trauma. like my kids don't have access to their full language, which means that they don't have full access to articulating what they go through. And you see that. Like, you see you see that in, like, the amount of pero likes are in a sentence. You know, you see that in the amount of ums that are in a sentence. Um, And you see that when we talk about Puerto Rican identity and my girls are only naming things that are stereotypical like they don't know anything about themselves outside of a definition given to them not a definition that they have created for themselves and to me that's the ultimate trauma like not having access to knowing yourself or not having access to the space where you can ask questions about yourself um And I would see that in all my students across gender. But specifically with my girls, I think the reason why it was kind of, I think the reason why it impacted me the most was because we know, we see the intersection of both race, ethnicity, and gender. um, And how we internalize our oppressions. And that's two oppressions that are just too traumatic to handle. (laughs) Um, And I'm seeing my girls so early on having to deal with things like, not even just being fetishized, but honestly fetishizing themselves, again, because they have the only reference point they have of what it means to be Puerto Rican is a stereotype definition. Um, And having to, like, work through and unpack how they've understand themselves and, therefore, how they interact with other people, specifically in their relationships, specifically in relationships that revolve romance or sex or love of anything. Mhm, so it's just a lot <laughs> i don't
2: I hope I yeah.
3: answered question, but it
2: it's just a lot, <laughs> yeah, no, and these are big questions, right, so there aren't gonna be these little perfect, succinct answers, uh what we hope is really just to spark dialogue um and you know have people as they're listening have those synapses going off, right, um. Mm-hmm. I want to ask you about your toolkit um, that you use to do the work that you do with young folks.
3: Hmm. The tools I bring in order to do the work that I do? hmm Transparency. Um, I know it sounds a bit abstract, but I completely believe in blurring power dynamics. Um, when we like created like and i say we because my kids were just as much as uh much a part of the process of creating the foundation of the program as much as i was because i didn't want power dynamics to exist that way i didn't want for me to be seen as like the expert in the room or the authority in the room um especially if we're going to be like diving into like this internal work Right. Because they're the experts on their own lives. Um, Transparency was one of the most practical ways that I could blur those those power lines. They were able to hold me accountable just so I could hold them accountable. They were able to ask me about my life the way that I was going to be asking about their life um they were going to be able to know the things that I was doing in regards to having conversations with their parents or having conversations with their teacher and staff and administrators in school, um, their social workers or what have what have you. They 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 would know all those conversations were happening because it wasn't going to be like I'm going behind your back and the adults are talking and then it, it ends up impacting you. No, I want you to be part of this journey. I want you to be part of this this process because you're the the key focus here. Your life is a key focus here. Um, so definitely transparency. Um, I think also, um really dropping this facade of like what we define as professionalism, um, I went into work every single day wearing what I normally wear, talking how I normally talk. Um, like, just being and behaving the way that I normally do. Um I wanted my kids to know that like binaries don't exist that they shouldn't exist and that people are complicated. Your your main mentor me, your director of the program me, your main facilitator me is a nuanced person. She, you know, she can be this and do that at the same time and so can you. Um and I was really focused on not just saying, but being all the time. I don't want to talk just about, um, like, let's talk about what it is to slut shame. No, I don't want to just talk about that. I want to, I want to embody what it means to be anti-slut shaming, you know? Um, so yeah, transparency and just really getting rid of like the power dynamics and, Being just as much as I'm saying would be definitely those like fundamental tools that I would bring into the bring into my work specifically with that program.
2: Mm, I'm so glad that you're bringing that framework up because I think what I am constantly reminded of in the work that I do. So I also work in um, a space that works with young folks. And I'm a little more removed because I'm more on like the administrative side. I'm, I'm I run communications for the mm-hmm. organization. Um, but I care deeply about you know young folks and and their voices because more and more I'm constantly reminded that as you've already said in a lot of examples, um. They're sharing in this work, if not leading it often, right? They're leading a lot of this work. Right. Um, especially around how we talk about healing and how we talk about, um, who needs to be at the table when we're, when we're creating solutions, right? Um, like we cannot discount their expertise, um, because they're bringing in just a totally different Uh, way of looking at things that I think even previous generations of young folks haven't done. So I'm just really grateful that you're bringing up how important it is um, to do it and not just because it's like the ethical or the right thing to do. It's really like part of all of our, it's like all of our healing is at stake. Absolutely.
3: Absolutely. That's another thing too. Um, I think a lot of times we're, people go wrong, and I'm I'm including myself in this because, you know, I don't, I I learned by trial and error, Um, but I feel like a Mm -hmm. lot of places where people go wrong is that we always want to, like, if this makes sense, we always want to talk about the thing that we think we should be doing rather than being the thing that we're doing. So, for example, Mm -hmm. like for, I don't know, an example, like, okay, so, like, there's this concept of, like, anti-respectability, right? It's all great to facilitate a conversation about it, but, like, are you actually anti-respectable? Do you know what I mean? Like, or are you actually creating a space in which people do not have to adhere to respectability? You know, it's that's very different than just, like, oh, this is what anti-respectability means, and, you know, this is how it's used as a form of oppression. Like, you know, it's, like, it's very different. Like, Liberation work has to be about being. It can't just be about saying, because then we're just like I don't know how, what the language I'm allowed to use on this, but then we're just like circle jerking, <laughs> you know? Like just- <laughs> yeah, you're allowed
2: to use whatever term you want. <laughs> uh, and speaking of, you know, respectability, we have to be walking the walk right now. Use that. <laughs> okay. like Use whatever. Yeah. and I think oh, it's it's so ingrained in us right to say like we're about this but then to default to the old ways that we've been taught and so yes always like it's practice it's practice like really um leading by example I think all of these are oppressions that we like we're all navigating and so even like if we default to respectability, like, what that means as well. It's not always that it's something we want to be doing. It's just something that is so ingrained in us that we have to be really intentional about practicing.
3: That's actually a really great point because something that my students really taught me um, was just I actually had to expand, like, my range of empathy for my own people, which I didn't even realize I, would, I had, like, I was closed off on certain things. Um, because, like, it's really important for folks to, to, uh, to, to be okay with other people's starting points. You know, like, we don't, <laughs> Oppress, systems of oppression are real. We're all conditioned into them. And so, we didn't we we didn't wake up knowing these things. We didn't wake up knowing to challenge these things or to question them. So like it's really important for us to be okay with like people not knowing, you know. And I I had to like really do some self reflecting uh, on my own work. Where it's like, do I have space for all of my people? Because I'm noticing that I'm like getting impatient with some of them on these two particular topics. Why? Why am I being impatient with them? You know what I mean? Like. Am I helping anybody? Am I am I do am I liberating anybody by being impatient and then closing off? No, like we have to be okay with people's starting points. My kids really helped me with that because some of the things that my kids were saying, I'm just like, ooh, I'm about to rip my hair out, (laughs) you know. But you you gotta go through that, you know. You gotta let them say these problematic things. You have to let them work them out, you know. And maybe they say something. And they, they, they trigger something in you. It's like, you know what? I actually, like, I think I agree with you and I don't think I'm supposed to agree with you. And I think maybe that means I have something that I have to work on. You know, like, yeah, we just, we need to make sure that we keep our, ourselves open to all of our people because we have to be aware that we are all navigating this oppression in our own ways. And when you're bringing up, like, not everyone goes to responsibility just because they want to, sometimes they do it because, it's just that's their natural, you know, like that's the conditioning coming right back. It's also a place of survival. Like respectability works, you know, up to a certain point, you know, and and people people do it because they want to survive, and people are scared, you know. The the systems, if you will, they hit you less when you're respectable to them, you know. So having empathy for like. Not, not judging our people for like, oh, like you're just adhering to respectability politics when really it's like, no, like I'm trying to survive. You know, like we, have to, mm-hmm. we have to be empathetic with why people are making the choices that they're making, too.
0: You're listening to Sana Sana Podcast, episode 12 with Adriana and Adriana. In this episode's Corazón a Corazón segment, we're talking with educator and organizer Rosalind Cecilia Sotero. Let's get back to the interview.
2: For people who are listening that um, may not work with young folks or young people, um, but everyone has a young person in their life, right? Mm-hmm. Everyone by some where form has influence or um, access to a young person. How can, like, what do you what do you tell people about, like, the work that you do when it comes to, like, how we can all show up for young folks? and supporting in their their healing
3: that's the first and only thing i think i would ever say is believe them like people are so quick to dismiss the intelligence the grace the skill the expertise of young people just because they're young and it's like believe them (laughs) like Mm -hmm. it does not that doesn't Mm -hmm. mean don't don't challenge it doesn't mean don't don't critique it doesn't mean don't question it doesn't mean any of those things it just means before you do all those things believe them like validate that they are they are right to speak you know that they have a right to to fill up this space with their voice um yeah like I mean, the amount of spaces I have been in where I've had to, like, be the advocate for my student, whether it's honestly with their parents, whether it's with a social worker, whether it's at a PPT meeting, which is like, you know, if you have a – if you're a part of a special education program, you get these meetings where all of these – what do you call it? These, you know, professionals, of that, as they call them, you know, whether it's staff, administrators, schools, psychologists, whatever, they get into a round table and they talk about all the things that your student is doing wrong. Um, like, just, the amount of things that I've been in where, like, students have, like, been so belittled and they haven't been believed is crippling. Like, I, I, I watch it. Like, I see it. I see it on their face. I see it in their, in their body language. It's crippling. And they, they get scared of their own voice. You know, no, Like if, if you're going to, if, if your goal is to in, engage young folks in a meaningful way, you have to start with believing them. You have to prioritize believing them. And if you don't, if you find yourself not believing them, you need to do self-work and critique and analyze why is that you're, you're not believing them. Where is the, the origin of your disbelief? And, and work on that. Before you end up like working with young folks or engaging them,
2: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um, I'm just sitting with that for a second. Um, <laughs> I was just thinking about what you were saying about um, how a lot of young folks don't have the language for what they're going through yet,
3: mm-hmm.
2: and. It made me think about how I first came across like how we first became Facebook friends, right? So I feel like I've been following your work now for 3 years maybe. Let me fact check that. <laughs> Let's see. Cuz Facebook is a snitch and it'll tell me how long we've been friends. Let me see. Yeah, 3 years since um we're almost reading. November 2015. Okay. Is when I first friended you and I might have even waited because I think I was just <laughs> being a creeper and like following your post because they're public <laughs> and yeah, you almost look like a page. But I remember the the post that made me like, what? Who is this? And it was regarding it was a post about Latinas and how they're fetishized. Yeah. Um. It was like the one I'm sure it, it, you've had many go viral, but I'm sure it's the <laughs> one that you recall going viral. Um, and I just was from then on hooked because you were talking about um really hard conversations. You were you were holding really hard conversations with really um your community. Uh and I think that I really love that. Um I think Sana Sana is in its way doing the same, right? We're we're trying to hold these conversations with our communities. Yeah. Um because I don't think I'm called necessarily to be having these com- I can be a translator, right? I can be a cultural translator. But I don't feel like that's where my work is right now. Right. Um, And so I think that's why when I saw the work that you were doing, it resonated in me, even though this was long before I started the podcast. And so, like, for anyone who's listening that hasn't followed you on Facebook or on Instagram yet, you're not as active on Twitter. I wish you were. (laughs) I'm not. I know. I can't get the hang of it. You would be a Twitter queen. (laughs) I'm gonna give you a little crash course. I want you on there. Um, I know. I need
3: a workshop. I need a workshop. <laughs>
2: <laughs> we can, we can figure out a trade. But, um, no, but even if you were only like using Facebook, like, woof, you are a master facilitator. Thank you. Um, cause you're really just asking the hard questions But you, what you've done, too, is you've curated a community that is, like, they really want to hold these conversations with you. Like, they really want to join in the conversations that you're holding, I should say. So can you tell me a little bit about, like, in your mind or in your, you know, experience, how do you feel that's happened in terms of curating this community to get to a place where you can have these, like, really tough conversations? Ooh,
3: <laughs> you you ask hard questions. You telling me I ask hard questions? <laughs>
2: um, <laughs> I have met my match. This is I'm over here just like ooh,
3: <laughs> damn. Um, ooh, I okay. So I, we need to have an honest moment, okay? hmm I'm an Aquarius. Which means I'm an intellectual
2: oh, snob. I should've remembered that. <laughs> I should've remembered that. <laughs> I really am though.
3: It is the truth. I'm an intellectual snob. I think I know everything because I do. You know what I mean?
2: Like <laughs>
3: it's a thing. Um luckily, luckily, I'm also just like like I'm also just very much like I'm a learner. Like I just love learning learning is important to me questions literally questions are the most fundamentally important thing to me because to me questions aren't just like a way of like learning but questions to me they show me that you care if someone is asking me a question it's it's like I feel like you care about me if I'm asking you a question it's because I care about you because I want to have this conversation with you and so when it comes to like the online like i don't know conversation forums if you will um it really just comes from a place of just like i really care like i care about my people i care about my communities and i want i want us to talk because when we look at like all of the ways that like oppression manifests one of its greatest like violent tools is that it prevents us from talking to one another in a meaningful way, and it prevents us from knowing how to talk to one another, like, literally, like, having the language, having the the empathetic ears to to engage in a conversation that's healthy and, and, and effective, you know, like, you, you could say the exact same thing when it comes to talking about, like, you know, gender-based things, like, men and women don't know how to talk to one another, and that's quite literally a product of the patriarchy, because we're not taught... To, to, we're not, we're not taught to talk to one another. We're taught to serve one another. You know what I mean? Um, or serve ourselves, depending on which, where you lie, like where you fall in this whole patriarchal benefacting, like benefactor or recipient. Um, but yeah, when it comes to like these online conversations, it's really just a matter of like, I want us to have, I want us to talk. I want us to be honest. I want us to be vulnerable. I want us to, Understand that we are the solution to like our own healing because like individualism is a lie. Like <laughs> it's an in, it's a complete lie. Individual individualism is what keeps us oppressed. Um, just constantly thinking for ourselves and and trying to get ahead of everybody else. Like no, like no one is going to win unless we're all winning. Um. And those questions that I end up asking are really just a uh, I don't know, it's kind of like a open arm hug <laughs> to like come in here and feel this embrace and let's let's just let's talk, let's connect, let's share, let's not share, let's kinda of be in some silence and sit with things that people have said. Um so yeah, it really just comes from I love my people. I really do. Yeah.
2: I think it shows. What would you say your favorite platform is? Um. Hmm. I. Mm. So I use fun. I usually
3: I only have like Facebook and Instagram. They're very different. I don't know if I could say I have a favorite. Like, I feel like they just have this, They have like pros and cons to both. I like. I do like Facebook. Cause I talk a lot, you know. So like, I need all of the things <laughs> yeah. necessary to say things, you know. <laughs> um, right.
2: But, you but you're like, hilarious. I you was to... <laughs> <Huh? laughs> just gonna say you're hilarious, and like, in, Instagram shows off that side of you like so much more.
3: <laughs> Honestly, give me a good filter, and we could talk. All we can chit chat. We could talk shit, like. <laughs> We could do that. No, yeah, I, that's real. Like I um, yeah, they're very different. So I, I like. I really. I don't have a favorite. I like both. You know. Um, you can like both. You don't have to
2: have a favorite. I was yeah, just curious. I, think,
3: <laughs> I do think Facebook really does allow for just like, a lot more actual conversation. You know, a lot more dialogue. I don't get a lot of dialogue but in the comment section of Instagram. Um, mm-hmm. but I do actually really like. I, I love the, the new feature of Instagram where you can like save your stories because I have noticed that people go back to them because I have gotten like me- like multiple messages from the same person about the same story. Like they go back to it and they have more questions and I actually really like that feature. So I like mm. both, though. and you know my selfie game on point. So like, please.
2: <laughs> I like I both. Oh, I was just telling my Tokaya, yeah, I'm like, have you seen Rosalind's thirst trap? <laughs> but they're always for a purpose. There's there's traps for a purpose. And one of them, the, I, I love, love it. Yeah, that too. And those are, that's completely valid. Yeah.
3: That's
2: so funny. I love it. <laughs> it's so funny. Um Let's circle back to the work that you do with young folks. And I know that when we first talked, I'm a little bit shocked now that we have been talking, that, you know, when we first chatted, you were like, well, I, I don't really work in mental health, or, you know, I can't really speak to, like, mental health. And I was like, uh, from what I can tell, everything you talk about is related to mental health um but we really we really were able to have like a good conversation around like how mental health is framed in our society right like it's often just really like um synonymous with like mental illness and not necessarily mental wellness and everything like the holistic picture of what it takes for us to be in good mental health right right um and what comes to mind is just, like, the interpersonal relationships, um, that piece that you were talking about, how, like, you know, individualism is a lie. Um, so I, I want to make sure that we take a moment to talk about the work that you do around healthy relationships with, with young people, like, what, the, what those conversations look like, what that work looks like. Um, what would you say has been the biggest driver in, in bringing up that type of work with your young people, um, with young people, not your young people, I, I need to stop doing that. I always say you're an hour. <laughs> it's hard. It's, it's so, so hard. hard. <laughs> um, I know. <laughs> um, but how have you been framing those conversations? Like, what has inspired you to hold Space around specifically um, modeling or talking about good examples of, of healthy relationships with young people. Yeah, um,
3: I on, honestly, the biggest driver and the biggest motivation is just really it's coming from like personal experience of just seeing um, the decisions. The inability right like the lack of agency in some um in some cases where I wasn't able to make decisions um, about how I give and share myself with other people um and again that could be familial that could be uh platonic that could be romantic that could be sexual that could be whatever um and so it just comes from like just like and I don't know if this is problematic, but it really just comes from, like, a wanting to reflect and correct, like, my own <laughs> experience when it comes to healthy or and unhealthy relationships. Mm-hmm. And I want to be able to bring that into my work with my girls because I know that they're like, they're, they're facing the same thing. And it does affect my boys, too, but I don't think we really need to go over how, like, this affects boys and girls differently. Um <laughs>
2: But, this is with them in a feminist show, so you're okay, <laughs> right?
3: Like I think we got that base covered. <laughs> um, and mind you, like if not a-
2: listeners, if not, you can go back to some of our recent <laughs> episodes. <laughs> sorry, guys.
3: <sorry>. No, it's, <laughs> um, and like just like mind you, like I do have these conversations with my with my boys too, but from a very like it, it's just it's a different strategy and it's a different entry point. Um, but. I'll say that for, like, kind of, like, another time. Um, when it comes to working specifically with my girls um, and, and facilitating, facilitating conversations around healthy relationships, I focus on how do we implement safe, smart, and consensual decisions in all of the relationships that we have, whether it be with ourselves or with other people. Um, like those are my three markers safe smart and consensual um, and we, and we can literally do that on an emotional level we can do that on a physical level we can do that on a spiritual level we can do that on an intellectual level we can do that on and we can do it on so many um, but i am just very concerned about my young girls making the same mistakes over and over again and I you know we could put all the context in there as to why they are making that those mistakes but like I'm really if we're going to just like be very literal here like I'm very tired of seeing you know 14 15 16 year old Puerto Rican girls dating 22 23 24 year old Puerto Rican men um like I'm tired of okay. like, seeing these older men these young men taking advantage
2: of really
3: vulnerable girls who are literally looking to be loved, looking to feel special, looking to feel like they are not like other girls, looking to give them a, a meaning, a purpose, a, like just looking, <laughs> like just looking, searching. Um and it's it's heartbreaking. Cuz like If we're referencing back to, like, when I'm mentioning, like, believe young folks, like, when I'm having a conversation with my 14-year-old girl and she's telling me that she is in love with this 23-year-old man, I have to believe her. I can, I, before I go into the this is, no, this is not right, he's taking everything like, before I go to all of that, right, like, go into the whole Chancla Mama thing, like, I have to believe her because it's in, in her reality. That is true; she is in love. So, how how do I have this conversation, respecting that that is her reality? Because I want to make sure
2: mm-hmm. that
3: she reaches the point of safety safely. Does that make
2: sense? Yeah. Um, man, that's so hard. Yeah.
3: It it's a lot. It's emotional, and the conversations are never easy. Um. Because in some ways, you kind of have to, like, break this fantasy for them, Um, and it, it makes them feel not special, right? Like, he's not, he's not, we're not together because he thinks I'm special, we're together because... He, it's a reflection of of his inadequacies. You know what I mean? Like he's looking for a power dynamic that he can abuse, right? And that's hard to swallow. No one wants to swallow that. Someone wants to be someone wants to be special, you know. And it's it's there's tears and there's anger and there's walking out that day as program, you know, like.
2: But you have to. You have to (sighs) trigger. Yeah, it's a shame. No, and I'm just, I just am really like. I have to give you props because you're working on really listening, right, in a moment like that. That is so hard to do when even I just think about having similar experiences with friends of mine that are going through something that I've been through and, like, I want to prevent them from pain, right?
3: Right.
2: And so it kind of triggers My tendency is to be, like, codependent and, like, worry about others, you know, in a way that is, like, not mine to worry about. I Mm. can be there for them in emotional support, but I can't be responsible for their lives in the way that they need to learn how to do, right? So that is such a gift to be able to, like, sit still and just listen. It's yeah. a lot because if you don't them, listen, like you're going to yeah. something,
3: rash, you know, and right. mm-hmm. I, I don't need them doing anything rash. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's a lot. And the thing is, too, is, like, all of these things, like, all of these uh, these systems are connected. Like, when I'm talking about my girls, you know, being in unhealthy, toxic, um, like, power-driven relationships... Um, those are a manifestation of being pushed out of loving homes. That, that That's a manifestation of being pushed out of schools. Like, when people talk about the school-to-prison pipeline, they're constantly talking about, like, pushing students out and they never want to talk about where are you pushing them into you're pushing them into prisons you're pushing them into the streets you're pushing them into unemployment you're pushing them into you know traffic like being vulnerable from trafficking you're you're pushing them into the dcs system you're pushing them into toxic relationships like Mm -hmm. literally like where do you think shorty is 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 going when she skips school you think where where do you think she's going she's going to that 22 year old hoopy ass car that he has and thinking that she's special because he picked her up from school like all these systems are connected all of them are Mm -hmm. and we we do we need to have these we need to have these tough conversations we have to actually take action on them because like i said i'm i'm tired of it like i'm so tired like my girls are seeing for meaning you know and and i don't i don't want them finding it at the end of some dudes like fragile as like power drunk ego like cuz nothing good comes from
1: that You're listening to Sana Sana Podcast, a queer feminist podcast that promotes healing and normalizes mental health. Thank you so much, Rosaline, for sharing your knowledge and light with us. We hope you enjoyed this interview. We'll be right back. Don't forget to follow us and comment with hashtag Sana Sana.
0: Healing is a process. At Sana Sana, we believe we are doing the work to heal today for a healthier, better mañana. Here are some ways we are taking care of ourselves. Tokaya, Do you want to share with us what are your end of year colita de rana sana mañana techniques?
1: Well, aside from all the usual suspects, (laughs) um, because this is A time of the year where so much built-in reflection is a part of, like, the everyday. You know, we're getting close to the end of the year. Uh, New Year's Eve is around the corner. My birthday is this week, so it's a new year for me. I'm building in a lot more time to journal and meditate this week than normal. I mean, it's also Capricorn season. Let's be you know real and acknowledge the magic of the season (laughs) which is like we love to plan capricorns love to plan we love to uh vision that mountain that we need to climb you know we're we're all about the baby steps that will get us to our goal so for me it's really like looking out to the next year 2019 and then actually i look at like what do i want to do in the next three years and then also scale it back after I like take a look at the long view I kind of come back to the to the smaller like changes that I've been working on because I I work on building habits year round um so it's just like a good time of the year to kind of run a diagnostic check on myself right like um take an inventory of where I'm at take a take an assessment and a lovingly assessment you know with doing it with love and grace around like where am I health wise? Where am I uh, with my relationships? How am I doing spiritually? Um, taking a look at all of the things that like really um, make me a person, like the holistic. Am I, am I satisfied with my per- personal and professional development? Mm-hmm. You know, I, I take a look at all of those things. Um, I've been doing that throughout this month, but like I will be a little more intentional about it in the last few days of 2019. And then one of the things that one of my teachers who I've mentioned on the podcast before, Sophia Rose Smith, um, she got me into the habit of really bringing in the new year with a lot of intention. So I plan to sit in circle with some friends, um, and have us all like recount our, our stories from 2018 and really honor those memories and those stories, um, and bearing witness to each other you know i I think it's really important that that i hold that tradition kind of tight and continue to do it every year it it really makes the new year special and it reminds me like how much um we've talked about this too but how much having ritual is important Mm -hmm. It, it really helps to mark you know special special times and um yeah that that's like what i'm really working on this this week and this this last bit of the month. What about you?
0: So similar to you. Thanks for sharing. Similar to you. Um, you know, holidays, end of year usually bring up a little anxiety for me because of you know I'm also pretty plan heavy. So I'm gonna be doing a lot of meditation, a lot of kind of journaling, looking back, um, and seeing what I want to do in the next year. I'm not like you. I don't have a three-year goal or plan, but I really do want to be intentional about taking a couple of vacations next year. So kind of planning that out. I want to do something a little bit larger for my professional development. So planning that out and um, just taking time for myself, um, balancing things out with like gym, good food, cleaning, and just um, being in a really good place to, receive the new year um nothing too exciting as you can tell but for me it's the smaller things that really count and that really keep me grounded and i think that the more grounded the more balanced i am the happier um i am and the more healing that i can engage with so you know just continuing to see my therapist who's awesome um Building community is going to be a big one for me um, next year. So really lucky that I have you um, to do a lot of that work with. Um, but yeah, that's kind of some goal. So I just need to kind of organize myself and put them on paper. I hope to do like a vision board um, that helped me last year. And it was really, um, really cool. And a lot of things really did come true, um, which is awesome. So kind of doing some visioning um, and just putting it out there.
1: I love that you brought up vision board work. I um, have a tradition with my friends. We, this, I think this is going to be the, we do it in January. So we usually, I think this is like going to be the seventh year we do it. So it's really cool. It's like a core group that comes back every year. And we kind of talk about like, like where we are with the vision. Cause a lot of the time it's planting the seeds. If it's like a longer term goal. Um, One last thing I'll mention that I want to make sure um, you, look for in the show notes is I want to link to the the rituals and a guided meditation that Sophia does um, in case you're interested
0: and want to do it it's actually really great oh I want to see that yeah, It's really good. now that we've shared how we're going to take care of ourselves um we'd love to hear how you're taking care of yourself please let us know thank you for tuning in to another episode of Sana Sana podcast written and co-hosted by Adriana. And Adriana. Our theme song is by Alina Celeste. Our cover art features a photograph
1: by Tanto Jensen. Special thanks to this episode's guest, Rosaline Cecilia
0: Sotero. Join the conversation. Follow Sanasana on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Sanasana Podcast. Send us love letters to Sanasana Podcast at gmail.com.
1: Sana mañana.